Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Vancouver up-and-coming jazz artist Imogen Moon. She has had an incredible turn of events while putting together her first album. The Dap Kings have jumped on as her backing band. Ian Hendrickson-Smith of The Roots and The Tonight Show is producing, and she even got to record with Amy Winehouse's equipment. The music on the new album consists of new recordings and a reimagining of her grandfather, Doug Randall's 1971 album for CBC entitled songs for the new industrial state. It all started with Corey Weeds and Seller Live and has built some serious momentum since that time. She explains. We get into it. Enjoy this interview. First and foremost, thank you so much for taking a minute out. It's great to meet you. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Me too. I'm I'm scared. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's all all good. It's all good. So what we're going to do first and foremost is before we get into the new recording, you know, COVID really did things to the recording world, to artists out there. And I'm wondering how you survived it and how it's changed the way that you approach things now. That's actually really interesting. I wasn't really recording until COVID hit. Um, so originally I, I started writing music in my bedroom when I was 17. Um, and I was very persistent about wanting to be a musician. Um, so I, for my grad present, my collective family put in some money and I got to record a few songs and that's what you may have heard is the child Cyrus. Um, and I, I did that recording initially knowing that I didn't really have much experience at all. Um, just to kind of get my foot in the door, kind of as a stepping stone. Um, I wanted I wanted to apply to music school eventually. Um, and then it was in the middle of my gap year between high school um, when I was going to start applying to music school that COVID hit. So I decided, you know, it's not really worth <laughs> applying right now because the whole point of music school is the interactions and the community. Um, so when COVID hit was kind of around the same time that um, Settler Music recognized the Child Cyrus, the EP. Um, And I don't think it would have happened unless COVID had happened. Um, And because I had the timeline, because I had so much available, um, let me think of how to say this, because I had so much available creative space, um, it, that's definitely what made this album happen. Um, yeah, it's it's strange. It was really unfortunate. And at the same time was kind of the sole reason that I'm here now. And I think there's a level of serendipity that has gone into this time that's been a part of this process is that mm-hmm. people have had latitude to either take a breath or figure out where they wanted to go or actually develop what was already kind of in development to begin with. So that that's no surprise at all. But you really got quite a lineup of people around you for when they start rebelling. So I would like to kind of dive into this recording first from the context that has to feel good now that the world's waking up to have that out. But the the ensemble of people you have around you is impressive. Definitely. Um yeah, again, it, it wouldn't have been available to me if it hadn't been for Seller Music finding that EP. Um, it, I got really thrown into the deep end. Like I was just kind of saying with, um, with my, my music career and kind of the 
trajectory of that i i was planning on going to music school and i i never have um and i i don't know if i'm going to at this point um in the near future uh so without the experience of music school i also i don't play instruments um and i really just all i'd done was writing in my bedroom um so when i when i found out that i was working with the guys that i worked with i was very shocked and very nervous um and i didn't really know how to take it um i know everyone talks about this but i had major imposter syndrome as i'm sure you could imagine um yeah it was it was very shocking to me and really exciting um i know that my grandfather would have been just over the moon he loved all the work that they had done um there were so many people that they've worked with that he just looked up to and and the, the scene that they are surrounded by so he would have been really excited as well it was was Corey Weeds a part of the Seller Live group that found mm-hmm. and vetted this? Yeah, so it um Corey has been a friend of kind of like a family friend. He was he he's friends with my mom and he has been for a long time. They met through Ross Taggart, who um sadly passed away. It's going on about ten years now. Um, but he was such a big part of the music industry and uh he was just so respected by everyone and so loved. Um so yeah, he, he was, Ross was basically the initial introduction um, from Corey Weeds to my mom, Joanne Randall. And then, uh, yeah, when Corey found out I was doing music, that's kind of how that relationship started. Yeah, Corey's so good. I was actually just listening to Day by Day in the car. He's like anything that comes on, he yeah. just has that signature sound. And he does so much good for the world of musicians out there, too. So totally. he's he's the most um, supportive and understanding person i could have worked with in this process um just yeah the patience that he has with me for sure is is something i needed (laughs) um yeah i I definitely needed some patience in in this process not really knowing where i was at or how to start um yeah he's incredible and he's yeah like you said a fantastic fantastic musician and and just has a feel to him that's very unique yeah, we all, I mean, jazz definitely needs somebody like him that's not only exemplary of what he plays, but, you know, getting people out there. I know he had his club for a while too. So there's a lot of aspects that go into him. So, um, yeah, I always know when Seller Live is on the back of a disc that it's going to be really good when, when Corey's involved. So, um, yeah. So yeah, he, he's very, he, he's, he's just keeping the, this industry alive in Vancouver for sure. Um, there's not, a whole ton without him at this point in Vancouver. Um, I should, I shouldn't say that completely, but, but yeah, he definitely, he's keeping the art form alive in a way that only a few people have the patience for. Yeah. 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 For sure. So you have like the Dap Kings are involved Ian Hendricks and Smith is involved. You got some heavy names. What are these veteran players teaching you about music at this point in your life? Um, I would actually say the the casualness, uh, casualness, sorry. Um, I don't know the casual atmosphere, I would say. Um, they, they just, I mean, it's a job. It's, it's a lovely and incredible job and they care about it more than anything. And it is their job. Um, I think they've, Sorry, is this sound too loud out there? There's someone mowing a lawn or something. No, you're good. That's the beauty of Zoom is that I think there's <laughs> optics in there that just kind of suck everything out and just focus on the voice. Okay. So we're good. Great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, so just the 
the day-to-day experience in the studio was really remarkable. Just, just watching them <laughs> perform at their jobs. It, it was really interesting and it was really intriguing as well, because it's something that you would, you wouldn't expect watching these guys doing what they do to be a relatable experience, but it definitely is. I, I think, you know, we all have <laughs> had tough days in the office and that's kind of how, how they see it. Um, I, I remember specifically, you know, when, when I was still in communication with Ian and obviously, like you said, he's such a heavy hitter. Like he's, he's so established. Um, and when we were trying to connect and just kind of going through the motions, going through the process of starting um, the arrangements, you know, we'd be, he'd be doing the late night show with Jimmy Fallon and I'd be working at um, a taco restaurant. <laughs> I was at the time. And yeah, I would, you know, I'd get home from work and I'd say, you must've had a hard day. He's like, well, you must've had a hard day. And I was like, yeah, I have. Thank you. Thank you for recognizing that. Um, yeah. He, he was very humble about that experience. And um, same thing with all the guys, like they, they totally just, they gave me a lot of respect that I, I didn't really anticipate um, not because of who they are, but just because of how much I look up to them. Um, yeah, just in, it's okay. You don't need to go to music school. It's okay. I know your day was hard. It's okay. You know, serving is a tough job. We've all been there type thing. Um, yeah. So that was, that was really remarkable to see. Um, they were so humble. Yeah. And I've interviewed Ian and it's funny when you get that high up the food chain, there's a, there definitely is a level of them being humble and grounded. You don't expect it, but they're just people and they recognize that. Exactly. And I don't think you could, you could get to a point that, that these people are at without staying humble and being respectful, right? Because you're going to get pushed out as soon as you, as soon as you start treating people as lesser. And, and they, they honestly really are, they, they show a lot of, yeah, equal respect and, and yeah, kindness. Yeah, for sure. So how did this music journey start for you? How did you get into it? And who were some early influences for you? Early influences were honestly Amy Winehouse, I would say, as number one. Um, Amy Winehouse and Frank Ocean, I always say, are kind of the two artists that I could just listen to forever. Um, Yeah, that's why it was so (laughs) unbelievable that I was working with her band, um, or at least members of her band. Um, Yeah, I mean, my music journey, it it started, it, it was a really confusing process. I just yeah like I said it I didn't expect getting to this point this fast um and there's areas of a musician's experience that I'm still very much missing I think it's going to come with time but it's you know it's it's like taking a job without going to university that's exactly what it is it's um yeah it's (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm, I'm missing part of the kind of communal experience that I was mentioning, um, that you would usually get from going to music school. Uh, so I'm just kind of trying to, yeah, find my place in the, in the music world right now. Um, but yeah, the way that it started, I, I was a dancer when I was, uh, I, I was, let me back up. Um, I was dancing from the age of like two and I only left dance in 2016, 2017. Um, and I was really, really full time for, for that period of my life. And I realized 
that the only reason I was in dance was for the music. And it took me a while to figure that out, but it, it started actually, I think the first day that I knew that it was music that I was interested in. Um, I was in a dance class and I had this teacher that was very harsh, but a great, great, great teacher. Her name was Leslie Telford. And um, she, she was teaching our class and the piano player didn't show up that day. And she said, does anyone want to put on their music instead? You know, we'll have a fun class kind of thing. Um, but as long as you guys can focus and everyone kind of said like, yeah, Imogen put Imogen, put your music on. Um, so I played my playlist and it isn't one I'd listen to anymore, but it was what it was at the time. And halfway through class, she kind of stopped everyone and said, okay, you guys, I, I know the piano player isn't here. I know we're listening to fun pop music. I know that it's, it's a different day today, but you're not focusing at all. You just need to learn how to stay grounded, to stay focused in, in your art form, even when you can tend to be distracted. And then she stopped and said, except for you, Imogen, I've never seen you work this hard ever. <laughs> so I realized it just completely had to do with my love for music. It, um, and not that the piano player wasn't fantastic as well, but it just wasn't my genre. And when it was the music that I knew I loved, I, I just lit up and... Yeah, that's kind of what changed. That's wonderful. So what was the first live show that you ever saw that really blew you away? Live show that I ever saw? Yeah. Um, hmm. I th- I mean, this wouldn't be the first one, but I the first thing that comes to mind is Smino. Um, I just, I wasn't expecting for it to be my favorite show that I've seen in a lifetime, but yeah. he... So he's a he's an kind of an alternative rapper, if you don't know who Smino is. And um most of his music is is produced a little bit heavier in the recording studio. Um, but when I saw his live show, I think it was 2017, everything was live. Um, and so he had a full band and it was it had just like this jazz feel to it. And I just felt the the expression of music in a whole different way. And it just made me realize how how much of a spectrum music can be and how how much of a spectrum every artist can be on um yeah i think that's what like really made me excited about the music world i would say so what was how do you spell what was his name again smino s-m-i-n-o smino okay all right cool yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna get yeah no, no, you're good. I just, I'm going to get into it. I have, I've never heard of him and that's very interesting. And I think that's the thing that's so good that I've even noticed about this pandemic is that a lot of even the jazz world got more elements of electronica and mixing genres in and kind of experimenting in ways that weren't happening before. But I think jazz has in this modern day and era has moved into elements of you know, hip hop and funk and things like that. Like, for instance, we had the NFL draft here in Kansas City and Thundercat was going to play. We had some freak like weather phenomenon that stopped it for a while, but he ended up going back on. But I had never really listened to him. And he's just really good at mixing up all those genres and making it a great blend, a great tasty blend. So it's it's great. There's a lot going on out there. Definitely. Yeah. Same thing with um, Lil Yachty's new album. I was not expecting that from him. Um yeah, that was really interesting to see. Um, it's really exciting. I, I think it it kind of calms my my energy knowing that um, there's so much experimenting happening, and that and that I can keep experimenting, and I don't have to stick to one thing. Um, I also really saw that 
with Jacob Collier. I don't know if it's Collier or Collier, but um, I think it's Collier. We'll see. Anyways, um, I saw saw that with him uh, when I first started listening to him around COVID as well. And I realized that he had, he has his folk album. He has an R and B album. He has a pop album. And I was so interested in, in that, that work because it's, it's not something that we've seen a whole ton until recently. Yeah. Um, it's artists that, that doesn't stick to a specific brand that looks um, everywhere for inspiration and makes every sort of music. Um, yeah. It's a really exciting thing to see. So in your career at this point, what was the moment, whether it was on stage or otherwise, where you were like, I'm here, I'm, this is my destiny. This is what I need to do. Hmm. I, I think it was when, Ian, Ian Hendrickson Smith sent me the recordings with his sax. Um, I mean, I felt like a singer kind of, but it's, it's a, it's a weird experience because I think being a singer, when you hear yourself back, it can sound like karaoke, you know, because you're always singing. (laughs) So, um, yeah, when I first, you know, whenever I hear my voice, I, I have a little bit of insecurity about it. Actually, I'm going to say a lot of insecurity about it. Um, and it's a tough thing to to do is to listen to yourself. Um, and I guess, yeah, I always kind of myself as a karaoke singer until Ian sent back the recordings with the horn sections. And then it just came together so much. It was just a whole new song. It, everything changed then. Um, so yeah, I would kind of dedicate my confidence in this album to Ian for sure. So yeah. what in this process of, of doing live shows, recording music, promoting all the elements that go into being a musician, what do you like the best about this process? What is it that motivates you the most? I just want to stay in the studio. Um, I, I love the recording process and I, I love the experimental aspect behind it. I, I would always prefer to sit in my room and improv <laughs> than, than to, you know, make a, a big splash with something that I, I'm not still sure about. I, I just really like, yeah, playing with the music and um, testing the music and yeah, finding new ways to look at it. I guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say my favorite parts are when I'm in my bedroom and it's four in the morning and I think of a song and I wake up and write it. Um, or when I'm in communication with, with someone like Ian and he just brings so much inspiration to the process. Um, yeah. I, I think just, just the creative, you know, the, the times where we, where we mess up the most are my favorite parts. So for the sake of this being a jazz show, more jazz centric, I'm curious who have been some real inspirational jazz musicians that have fueled the way that you approach the way that you are finding your voice? Hmm. I mean, there's a ton of people that have inspired me in the process. I would probably honestly say my mom, um, as cheesy as that might sound, but, but she really, I didn't understand how similar our voices were until, you know, listening, listening back to this completed album and um, listening to her completed album, which isn't released, but will be soon. Um, yeah. I, I heard so many similarities in just our tones and the way that we looked at music. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. It's tough. I, I also, I tend to not really, this might be kind of controversial to say, but I tend to not really specifically look up to people. Um, I tend to not look up to someone as a person. I would look up to someone as an artist, but not necessarily. I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the concept of fame, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, there's songs, there's aspects of, of artists that I love and that I respect, but I'm not really the type of person to trust someone a hundred percent with, with every piece of work that they do. I think that it's totally okay to listen to an artist and hate one of their albums and only love one song and that kind of thing. So yeah, my, my inspiration comes from absolutely everywhere. Um, I, I definitely kind of, I think I tend to find inspiration more so from underdogs a little bit. Um, I, I got really into finding <laughs> like ridiculously underground music when I was about 16 um, and just doing that through SoundCloud, like finding the artists that had five plays, but you could feel how much energy and attention these songs were getting. Yeah. I think that was what inspired me a bit more so even than, than you know the most impressively talented people of the past few generations i th- i think i i got more excited when i heard people that were in in their new and beginning eras of being a musician sure no i get that i totally get that um there's a level of them that's not touched by the idea of fame i think when yeah. when a lot of musicians do get to that point. There's a lot that can handle it, but there's a lot that do totally get altered by the process. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, that, that is definitely part of it. I think more so I just, I don't agree with the trust that goes into some celebrities. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sounding like I have a major trust, <laughs> but um, no, I, I think just, I think it's a very unnatural and confusing human experience to have trust and love on a personal level for someone that you've never met. It's, you know, kind of similar to how I see people idealizing politicians. It's, or, or, you know, I mean, it's become kind of a religious experience to, to look up to a celebrity to that extent and to just put your, you know, dedicate your time, dedicate your life, dedicate your love to that person is it's very new and it's very confusing to me. Um, so yeah, I guess as distrusting as I sound with that, I I just have more of a tendency to find inspiration in snippets rather than from one major person, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. No, and I think that's an evolved notion. I think it's I I totally understand what you're saying. And I mm-hmm. think there is definitely a problem more in this country than anywhere else where the whole idea of idolatry translates into something where we don't know these people but we treat them as though we do. Mm-hmm. And I, it can, it can be very dangerous. And I think it's led to a lot of the things that have been a part of both cancel culture and this like notion of ripping people down to see if they can rise like a Phoenix. And it's very twisted and strange. I mean, it's just at the end of the day, that's the reason why people like Ian and other people are very grounded because they know at the end of the day, unwaveringly why they do what they do. And they mm-hmm. do it because it's something that is art and they feel it and that's it. And all of the other things that get layered into it, especially Ian seeing 
all of the things that he sees on a nightly basis, he's more closely aligned to it than probably a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Ian, Ian's seen it so firsthand, what, what the industry can do when it's not, yeah, when people aren't treated like people. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> my, I guess what I'll like leave that point with as well is that with my kind of viewpoints on fame, I think, I think they come from the uh, fact of, I don't think I would ever deserve to be famous, not because of um, imposter syndrome, not because I don't think I'm talented or anything like that, just because I don't think anyone should look up to me if they don't know me. I think that you should find, like I said, snippets of the good in people and snippets of, of um, inspiration and people, but I don't think that that I should be someone that anyone looks up to just as a concept or like as a as an entire being. I think someone should, if if they do find inspiration in me, that's incredible. But it should be in, in snippets, not in not in an idealized version of me or a fake version of me. If that makes sense, it does, and that's a perfect lead into this question, which is everyone has a perception of you, family, friends, fans. But ultimately, you live your life. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Um, I think I'm kind. I think I'm an extremist <laughs> for sure. I, maybe extremist isn't the right word, but um, I think everything that I do is on one end of an extreme spectrum. Um, for example, I'm either very, you know, I've I've noticed patterns of ego and patterns of complete insecurity it's kind of hard for me to find middle grounds and things um so that's just something i'm learning i think that i'm um hectic (laughs) i think that i'm kind of an anxious person as you can maybe tell um but i think that i have a really good heart and i know that i'm only gonna fight for what i know is is a, a good cause um i'm definitely honest um, and as an artist, I think I'm very relaxed, <laughs> as kind of opposing as that sounds to the rest of my character. But I would rather always um, take things as they come as an artist and see what happens. Absolutely. So let's get to the good business here. Where can people pick up the new recording? Anything related to your world as far as news, live shows, past projects? Where is the one stop that people can go to? Um, well, my name is Imogen Moon on Spotify. It's I-M-O-G-E-N-M-O-O-N. And I guess on Apple Music as well. Um, yeah, I don't have any shows that I know of yet. I've only performed twice so far. Um, so we'll just see how that goes. Uh, I'm, you know, shortlisted for a few things. So we'll see how that goes. But for now, yeah, just just stream the song and it's on pretty much every every platform. Um, you can listen to the old EP if you want. It's very emo, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, anyone can go ahead and listen to that. That was a very high school, um, high school experience, you know, first love type sadness and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I'm still happy with it. I'm, I'm excited to start writing again after this project is released. Um, yeah, because like like I was saying, it's my grandpa's original writing. So um, yeah, I'm excited to get back into um, my personal work and my personal experiences. Excellent. Imogen, thank you so much for taking time out. Best of luck with the project. I really appreciate your time today. 
Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest singers and players in Vancouver, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Ima Jen for her time, music, and energy. If you want to hear more interviews, you can find Neon Jazz interviews at either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe to us at YouTube. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.